0: Welcome to One Action, a podcast by PepsiCo, where we highlight contributors to the sustainability ecosystem across the region. I'm Rona Halabi. I'm joined on the show today by the first Arab woman to summit K2, Nelly Attar. While she started out as a mental health professional, Nelly found her purpose in sports and physical fitness. And it turns out we have plenty in common, including our love of dance.
1: I just love movement. So the type of dancing I used to offer was dance fitness. Um, Dance fitness, that's similar to Zumba, but has more of an Afrobeat theme. uh, So that was the type of dance class that I would teach. In terms of like dance classes I attend and I enjoy doing, I love Afrofusion. I love hip hop dance. I used to also pole dance. Um, so I like, I, I love dance in general.
0: Okay. So we have a lot of, a lot in common other than our curly hair. Um, okay. So you are also the first Arab woman to, uh, do the K2 summit. So how did you also decide to do that and what pushed you to do it? And you know, like what triggers you to reach heights basically?
1: I love sports. I love outdoor sports. Um, I specifically love mountaineering. It's something that also has, um, been a process over the years. I started with smaller climbs, easier climbs, and then over the years I started to progress. So the idea of K2 actually came about after I climbed Everest. I was actually descending from Everest on summit day, and I was thinking, what next? I would love to do something even bigger, something, you know, that will challenge me in a different way. Um, and I thought of K2. And so after descending from Everest, I spoke to the guy that I climbed, uh, the company that I climbed Everest with, and they were like, K2 is, you know, one of the deadliest mountains in the world. It's a very different level. You're going to have to gain more experience. You know, give yourself about three years of climbing properly before you can attempt K2. During those three years, we had the pandemic. A lot of things happened. A lot of changes in my life happened as well. But I did climb and I continued to train. And so exactly three years after climbing Everest, I uh, scaled K2.
0: So both uh, Everest and K2, I think that's really amazing. If there is one action that you would want to highlight about uh, your journey and what you're doing, what would that be?
1: A big reason why I climb is because I'm out in nature. I'm out in nature in prolonged time. So I feel like I'm going back home. Having said that, we do have a big toll on the environment as climbers. And contrary to what most people think, outdoor sports does have, does have a big toll on the environment. So I feel like I have to be proactive. I have to take certain steps as a mountaineer to be able to offset or combat the, the, the environmental impact that I have as a climber. So for example, because I travel a lot, I have to travel to be able to climb and train. I don't have a car. I don't, you know, I don't own a car. I walk a lot, so I try to at least um, minimize my footprint in terms of transportation. Um, when we're on the climb, I try to utilize certain things, or I try to take certain steps to also minimize my eco footprint. Um, using, you know, biodegradable products, um, also carrying our waste down, including our stool. So when you know we go to the toilets higher up, there's certain steps that you can take to also not leave it up there um going with companies i i usually go with companies that do respect the environment that do encourage sustainable uh travel so and then also the the products that i wear the products that i use for example patagonia is one of the best brands in terms of like promoting sustainability so i i'm I'm still learning there's still a lot of things that i can improve in um but i of course the environment is super important for me nature is super important and i feel like everyone athlete or not athlete every single person has to protect the environment and wherever you go treat it like it's your backyard don't treat it like oh it's a different country oh it's not my city oh it's not my responsibility no we all share this planet it is don't just leave no trace leave the place better than what than when you came into it So try to clean up and actually make it a shared activity. Make it fun. Go with friends, clean up, run a competition on who can clean up the most garbage. Start a fundraiser relating to cleanups, clean up.
0: You know, when you think about athletes going climbing, you don't really think about that. You don't look at it from that angle. So I think it's great that you are actually, you know, taking some steps. And I would actually like to talk more about those steps with you. So like, you know, if you take us on a journey with you, Climbing up the mountain, or you know, going down the mountain as well. What are the things that you do on your way up or on your way down to just you know be in harmony with your environment to make sure that you are you you don't have any negative impact on this environment?
1: So just to give some context, some of the some of the environmental tools that we take as climbers, there's the travel CO two emission. Also, if you're joining an expedition, if you're part of an expedition, for every team member for every client their staff that is accompanying you on the mountain so then it's not just your waste. there's a waste of the people that are coming to help make this possible a lot of times on these climbs we actually use animals to help us carry uh, transport luggage or carry our gear so then there's also that that we have to consider and then um the waste the waste that we ex- like the, the waste that we create while we're up on the mountain. You have to consider all these factors. Now, what I try to do is I try to go with a mindset of leaving no trace. So I try to go and come back with everything that I'm carrying. I want to leave nothing behind. Um, so for example, I use biodegradable tissue. I use biodegradable um, what wipes. How do I dispose of them? I always have a waste bag with me no matter where, no matter where I go. Um, there's always a waste bag, either in my pocket or in my bag. So I just dispose everything in that waste bag in terms of food, because we're always snacking, like from day one till the end of the climb, till we're back, we're always snacking. So what I try to do during the times where it's really cold, I'm wearing mittens. I try to be proactive. So when I'm in my tent, I actually remove the wrappers of the product. I'm going to be eating like chocolates, uh, crackers, uh, bars. And I try to put them all in one Ziploc bag. Because when I'm climbing, I'm not going to be able to take off my mittens if it's minus 40. I can't take off my mittens and rip a wrapper. And then if I do, there is a chance that I might lose it because of the wind. Also, this is, a, I mean, a small example. When we're blowing our nose, there's a technique that you can blow your nose where you don't have to use tissue. It's a bit gross, but <laughs> this is a way where you you avoid using tissue every single day while you're moving. And you move for hours. It's just a way of like, you just have to push. So it doesn't come on you. but um. In that case, you're not using tissues. Um, Wag bags. Wag bags, higher up, the higher we go. So in the lower camps, it's okay. You might a lot of the the climbs in the mountains that we're on actually have toilet areas. But um, wag bags are bags that you poo in. And so the higher we go, like camp one, camp two, and I'm talking about 6,000 meters above sea level and higher, we use wag bags not a lot of companies do that but the companies that i climb with do that also being proactive so cleaning up garbage that's left behind that's not ours when possible because it is really hard when you're climbing something as risky as k2 it's extremely hard to to climb the mountain itself you know let alone think think of cleaning up someone else's garbage but where it's possible when possible um, yes, we do collect garbage along the way and and bring it back down with us. And there's also ways that you can be proactive. So recycle, reuse products that you have, and you can even throw a fundraiser. So for example, on Everest, I, um, I started a fundraiser to clean up Everest, and I managed to raise $800 to be able to collect garbage from higher camps. In this way, we're cleaning up the environment. People that care are actually getting involved. And you're creating jobs, you're paying people, you're paying um Sherpas and high altitude porters to be able to clean up garbage. And when I'm in Saudi, I usually lead climbs and hikes to clean up trails. I don't do it as often as I want to, but I do it every month, every two months when I'm around. So these are just, you know, small, simple steps that I'm taking to be able to minimize my eco footprint. Everyone can take steps.
0: I totally agree. But you know, the fact that you know, like there is garbage uh, on, you know, like going up the Everest is really something alarming. You know, I wouldn't have imagined that there would be any waste on the mountain. Like, you know, how many people climb that and why wouldn't they do the same steps that you were just talking about?
1: Sorona actually in 2008 they collected 20 tons of debris from everest this is in 2008 and the last few years has been a record for how many people have been climbing Everest. so i can only imagine the garbage that's being left behind the very fact that so many people are going all together at once i i don't feel like the mountain can actually recover from that many people so it's not just you know people going up there with the race but it's also like what are you doing to preserve the environment? Are you stepping over plants? Are you cutting down trees to, to create campsites? Because people do that. That's happening on Kilimanjaro. I went to Kilimanjaro in 2015. I went again in 2018 and I saw the vast difference. There's a lot more areas that are cleared up to create campsites. Now there's actually built in toilets. This is not sustainable. This is not sustainable. In one year, there were about 50,000 people that climbed Kilimanjaro. How is how is the, the mountain gonna be able to recover from that? So yeah, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised um, with regards to the toll that climbing can have on the environment, especially if the government is not regulating the sport. If the government doesn't limit how many people go at once um, and the government doesn't put regulations in place, like you have to bring your garbage back or you pay a fine. The companies have to bring the garbage back or they pay a fine. Some countries don't do that.
0: When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about how Nelly is creating impact through action and how you can too. Welcome back. I'm Rona Halabi and you're listening to One Action with our guest Nelly Attar. You know, you were talking about you as a climber, as an athlete and the relationship you have with, with your environment. I mean, you know, like, people in general, and these climbers in particular, I mean, this is something that they love and that they're doing. So I'm just wondering how come they don't think about how sustainable this is. Like if they want to come back one day, or if, I don't know, their children want to come back one day. So I feel like, you know, it's really frustrating that this relationship with nature does not really come naturally, you know?
1: Honestly, I think a a lot of people that do climb do have this respect and appreciation for nature. It's just that they might sign up to a company that doesn't. I've been diving and I've seen the the company that I've signed up with um encourage bad diving practices and I've learned because I've signed up with companies like this I've signed up with climbing companies as well that did not place such a big emphasis on protecting the environment, but because I went through these experiences, I know how to you know how what companies I should go for and what companies I should sign up with. So it's not per, it's not the people per se. Sometimes it's the companies that they sign up with, and sometimes it is because um, the climbs are very physically demanding. So I've seen this in person where a person is on the the verge of dying on these climbs. We've seen people die on these climbs, so they end up leaving oxygen bottles or their shoes or certain things behind, you know, unintentionally because they're just exhausted because they're they're going through a near death experience. Mm. Um, and a lot of people that are climbing these mountains are not fully equipped to climb these mountains, whether it's experience, lack of experience, or it's their fitness capabilities. So they go with the intention of bringing back their waste, but they end up facing experiences and situations where they end up leaving waste behind.
0: And and do you know where, you know, like those companies who actually collect the waste, do you know what happens next? What do they do with the waste? Are they clear about this?
1: Yes. Yeah, so certain mountains... Um, and, and with certain mountains I've climbed, there's very clear practices on what you should do with the garbage. You actually bring it back and you check it in with the mountain rangers. There's rangers and there's like there's a there's a whole entity, governmental entity that takes care and regulates the mountains and, you know, tourism on the mountains. So you come back and you check in your waste so we've seen that in Alaska, for example. In Alaska, when we climbed the highest peak there, they were checking every single bag that we had. They were weighing everything we had. So when we came back, they had to weigh everything we had. And we had to, we actually bring back our stool in little boxes that we we bring down, we check them in. Um, so when, you, when you're entering the park, which is the mountain, um, you check in with all your stuff and then you check out the garbage there. But again, there's a lot of climbs where this is not practiced. Um and I and I witnessed that in Pakistan, unfortunately. A lot of us climbers got food poisoning because the water that we're drinking from the glacier. So we melt snow and we drink water um from the rivers. The water is contaminated because of the amount of dirt and waste that's being dumped in the in the water and, and the glacier.
0: Anything specific about the Saudi uh, natural landscape different than elsewhere? Because you have the mountains, you have the deserts, so just wondering if there is something specific for where you are based.
1: With regards to Saudi, I think we each need to take more of a effort to be able to clean up the environment because there's a lot of these areas and trails that are still not open to the public. They're actually becoming open to the public. From what I've experienced, there's not a lot of garbage uh, cans in these areas. So a lot of places where I've gone hiking, canyoning, climbing, you don't find any garbage cans because these areas are completely natural. So for that reason, people have to make more of an effort and you know, to leave no trace. So make sure that you actually carry plastic bags with you when you go to these climbs to take everything back with you. And if you find anything left behind, bring it back with you. Because chances are you will you will find a lot of garbage left behind. You know, as you know, the country is just recently opening up to tourism. There's a lot of be- beautiful areas um, that are just starting to open up and people are starting to discover. So, yeah, we we should really make an effort to protect these areas.
0: We at PepsiCo for us this is this is a very important issue that we're trying to address across the region. Um and you know, we're trying to um diverse waste from landfills and reduce the impact that we have on the on the environment at and it's really, you know, interesting to hear about your experience which is very specific maybe, very niche but also applies to everyone.
1: I think a lot of us this is how i feel sometimes i don't know where to start and i feel like me you know a small person can i really make a big difference it has to start from corporations it has to start from these big entities but we can make a difference each one of us can make a difference in how we show up into the world our choices the brands that we support um, what we consume how much we consume we can all make a difference and each one of us has a unique way of making a difference and so find your way of being able to make a difference. Find that unique way of being able to, to minimize your eco footprint. And take steps because every single day does, a, does have a cumulative effect.
0: I definitely learned something new on that episode with Nelly. And I hope you will also follow her advice to consume less and move more. You can connect with Nelly on Instagram and TikTok at Nelly Atar. And maybe the adventurous ones among you can also join her on an upcoming climb. One Action is brought to you by PepsiCo and is hosted by me, Rona Halabi. We're produced by Murad bin Ayed, May Barber, Marah Ghurani, and Shirak Desai with support from Natalie Hatoum. Thank you for joining us today. We will be taking a short break for the new year and be back again in January. See you then.